Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down with mamas to talk about their health, their work, their parenting, and all the different ways that they're keeping it together. Juna is a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your pregnancy and motherhood journey. Everything we do is to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Lisa Mastella, the founder of Bump and Blends and mom to Carolyn, who just turned one. Lisa and I talk about her path to pregnancy, her postpartum life, and how those experiences led her to the idea of Bump and Blends, which she launched when Carolyn was just six months old. Lisa is a wealth of nutrition knowledge as she has her master's in public health and her dietitian license, and all that experience has been jam-packed into the smoothie blends that her customers love. This conversation is filled with great info from dealing with pregnancy symptoms, managing an induction, navigating her breastfeeding relationship, all the way to how she finds her community of moms. Hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me here today. If you want to start by introducing yourself, that would be great. Yes, I would love to. I'm Lisa Mastella. I'm the founder and CEO of Bump and Blends. I am a mom to an adorable little one-year-old. And um, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I'm a dietitian as well. Um, Yeah. And you have your MPH, yes. right? Yeah, I have a master's in public health and my RD from University of Washington in Seattle. Now, did you do those at the same time? I did. Um, yeah, I, I did my undergrad in human biology. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then when I started to get into research, I was like, wow, actually nutrition really seems to be a huge part of health. And uh, this is back when that wasn't quite as obvious. <laughs> and uh, and so I decided to pursue nutrition and public health as my master's. Well, inter- I mean, we're, 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 we're diving into something, but it's, it is really interesting because my I have friends that are doctors and the amount of time spent in nutrition during medical school is just so minimal, which I've always found so interesting because what you put in your body feels like is 80% of mm-hmm. it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as when I was pre-med, nutrition wasn't even a prerequisite. It wasn't any part of it. And I think even in a lot of the med schools I was looking at, at least back then, you didn't even need to take a single course in nutrition to have your MD. And once I realized that, and once I realized that a lot of the research that was so innovative and exciting around health was all in nutrition. That's when I knew that pursuing medicine probably wasn't the best route if I wanted to really make an impact on people's lives. Yeah, that, that's, that is interesting and, and a good choice. <laughs> um, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the more people that are, that are talking about the importance of what you put in your body, the better. And I think like, you know, you, you said like, it's definitely changing, but I don't, I don't know if it is so much or if it's just the world that we're surrounding ourselves in and in the people that are super educated around us are obvious, you know, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And nutrition is such, it is such a challenging thing to study as a researcher because it's very difficult to control. And so that's why often we have different people having almost different opinions about how nutrition works. It's not so much that there are multiple right answers, and it might be, but 
it's more so that the studies can be so easily manipulated when it comes to nutrition and they can so easily be done incorrectly. And um, that's how we get, you know, different schools of thought, I guess, when it comes to what the healthiest foods are, X, Y, and Z, because it's really difficult to actually control nutrition in a long-term research study. Yeah, because in, in like short of locking someone <laughs> exactly. down in a lab where you're feeding mm-hmm. them, like like I think that's obviously one of the, the hardest things is probably just controlling exactly. the input. Yeah. yeah, and to control them for a long period of time too is very difficult. And then even if you can control them, that's then not realistic because we're not controlled in everyday life in that way. So right. then you can't even use those results in a meaningful way. So it's it's really challenging to study nutrition, but it is a very interesting field that research is constantly coming out of. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you more about it later, but we can back up now and you can, we can talk about your path to being a yes, mother. Yes. Um, my path to being a mother was, uh, it was fun. It was not what I thought it would be. Um, but it's been a really fun ride. I, uh, got pregnant with my daughter, Caroline. Um, I had just gotten married and she was a fun surprise. (laughs) And as a big planner, um, that was a little challenging for me at first, but now she's one and she's amazing. And, We've gone through a lot together in this past year, year and nine months with her. The best year and nine months. <laughs> yeah, the best, the most challenging. Um, yeah, it, it's. I'm. I'm a huge planner, and I really like things being in the right place. I was always, you know, the person who had a timeline for her life. I wanted to be married by 26 and have a kid by 30. And, you know, I had a plan. Um, and I, I had to have surgery right after I got married. And, um, it turns out that, you know, I, I was given antibiotics after the surgery and I didn't know. And so my birth control pills were actually not really effective. And so, you know, fast forward a few months and all of a sudden I was like, why do I have this flu that won't go away? And I can't eat any food and I'm exhausted. I was like falling asleep at my desk at work. Um, turns out I was pregnant. And uh, so it was a very fun surprise, but a very big surprise. Um, my husband and I had talked a lot about traveling the world for a few years and, you know, just doing all these things before we started a family. But um, my daughter was like, nope, guys, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> It is, and it is. It always funny, like how how different these stories are mm-hmm. for like the like the unexpected, and and but I, I still, no matter what, like there is just no way to plan for it. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. So that's what you come to find out. Yeah, I just and it it all sort of falls into place. It works itself out. And if there's anything that having a child has taught me is that you know your plans don't go to plan, and having plans is great, but being able to flex and adapt when nothing goes to plan is much more valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That type of resilience is like, is what we need to teach our kids <laughs> exactly. to. It's like, wait, how, <laughs> how was your pregnancy? Was it? It you know, was oh. tough for me um, going into it. So I had, I was really sick in the beginning. I had terrible morning sickness. I, 
I mean, I couldn't even have the refrigerator. Like if, if my husband were to open up the refrigerator in our house, I could smell that he opened up the refrigerator if I was on the second story and he was on the first. Like it was, it was so extreme. I couldn't like at work, I had to leave the, I would actually go hide out in the, um, of all places, the locker room in my office's building because I couldn't bear the smell of people eating lunch at work. And I couldn't bear the smell of being outside because it was like downtown and trash and you know, and all of that. Oh, yeah. And so I would like find this little locker room that surprisingly smelled great. Um, to hide out in for like and work from for an hour out of the day when everyone was eating lunch. Um, so my morning sickness was terrible. And um, I had this notion that I was going to be the healthiest pregnant woman on the planet. And I was going to eat nine servings of vegetables a day and take these special prenatal vitamins with spirulina in them and everything and um, exercise every day and gain the perfect 25 pounds because I was a dietitian and that was my job. Um, but the only thing I could keep down was mac and cheese and mint chip ice cream and uh, Stouffer's lasagna from the Rite Aid across the street from my office building. So I would literally go get Stouffer's lasagna for lunch and have mac and cheese for dinner and like be brought to tears if I couldn't get mint chip ice cream. Like it was, I was so, my body was not mine. I I felt like I didn't have control over my choices, um, which was really challenging for me given that I know what a big impact nutrition can have on a developing baby. And I felt really, um, I mean, I, I felt out of, like, I, I wasn't calling the shots, which was difficult for me. Um, especially not being able to smell a vegetable and still to the day not being able to eat certain vegetables because I happened to smell them when I was in my first trimester. Um, Yeah, it was extreme. And then in my second trimester, um, we had to pick up and move to Los Angeles because we wanted to be near family and have those resources when we had a kid. And so we picked up our lives in Seattle, moved to Los Angeles, which brought on its own stresses of trying to find a home and moving and, you know, transitioning all of that. Um, And so that came along in my second trimester. My third trimester, I was just you know, um, like basically, planning. yeah, planning nesting. And then I was also just like, I had gotten to that last month and a half of pregnancy. And I was really proud of myself because by that point I was, I had kind of hacked my, um, food aversions with smoothies, which we can certainly get into, but I was feeling really good about, you know, how healthy I had been. And I was in this last month and I just decided to live it up. I like lived on the couch. I was eating s'mores every day. I sort of just threw in the towel at the end. Um, <laughs> so that came with its own slew of, of new symptoms as well. So pregnancy was, it was tough. It was, it was tough, but I've certainly heard of women having a tougher time with it. I've heard of women having an easier time with it. I think, yeah, every pregnancy is unique. You know, it's it's funny. I relate so hard with that last the last six weeks for me were so so brutal, and I like and I didn't have a lot of space for food, so I knew I wasn't like I didn't care what I ate because I I wasn't like hitting the amount of calories I needed. Mm-hmm. Like I was like trying to nutri- nutritionally dense, but also calorie dense foods because. I was like eating 
maybe like one and a half meals a day. And it was and because I had really bad heartburn. Mm. But I was like, yeah, you know what? If I'm eating a 500 calorie um, ice cream sundae, then that's what I'm yeah. eating because because you need those calories. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Labor is no joke. I was really just like storing up, fueling for it. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it felt. I felt like Jabba the Hut on our couch, just like laying there eating food all day um, and begging. <laughs> right. <laughs> So did you go on time? Was she early? Was We weren't entirely sure of her due date because she wasn't planned and I was on the pill. Um, I We weren't entirely sure of her due date. So we had like a f- three different due dates that we thought she could have been. And I ended up being induced right in between the three due dates because of fear. I mean, I was a 10 pound, three ounce baby. My husband was over nine pounds. She was already measuring like nine pounds. And I really, it was really important to me to have as natural as possible, uh, or as not, not as natural as possible, as natural as I felt I could handle um, mm-hmm. vaginal birth. And that was important to me. And so I decided to induce because I wanted to be able to push her out. And I knew that if she got to be over 10 pounds, the risk of a, or the chances of having a C-section would have really increased for me. And so I got right. scared and I induced. Did, did you end up having a natural pregnancy? Uh, natural pregnancy? I think. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I think so. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> no, natural labor. Sorry. Um, I did up until the very end. So and it's funny because this shouldn't bother me, but it bothers me. And it's this is a whole other slew of, of the, the mom guilt and stuff around having an epidural versus not. But I I was totally open to having an epidural if I needed it. Um, but I also didn't want to be checked and monitored all the time. And so I had been right. in labor. So I went in at like midnight, you know, started getting Pitocin and the Foley balloon and everything before 1am. And by like 3pm, 3.30 the next day, I was like, okay, I need a walking epidural. Like I need something to be able to at least take a little nap because I hadn't slept at all. And that was like, my biggest thing was I was just so tired. um, And my contractions were like on top of each other the whole time. So I couldn't nap. And so I got the walking epidural and it didn't do anything. I didn't even feel it. Um, And now I know that that actually meant that I was probably closer to like eight centimeters, but I had no, I thought the last time I had checked it, the last time they had checked, it was like four centimeters. So I thought I still had another solid 24 hours of contractions to go, but I should have had them, I should have had them check me before getting that walking epidural because I would have then known that I was so close to the end, I could have pushed through. But instead, you know, being in a hospital, often the interventions just sort of get piled on top of each other and a little bit out of your control. So, you know, they were telling me that the anesthesia guy to do the epidural was going to leave for the next few hours. So if I wanted to increase it to a full epidural, I needed to do that now. But the nurse who was going to check my cervix wasn't available. And so it just sort of was like, either do the epidural now or you know, turn it all off and have no idea where you're at for the next little bit. And so I ended up doing a full epidural for all of 20 minutes. Um, I took a 20 minute nap and I woke up and I was 10 centimeters. So we turned off the epidural, removed all that. And so I was able to push feeling everything and have that control um, over my 
pushing phase of labor. Uh, but I still am so grateful for that 20 minute nap. Like, I don't know that I would have been able to do it without that. No, I also, I'm so impressed that with Pitocin, you lasted so long like that. I've heard that, that Pitocin just amplifies the contractions to a degree that is very intolerable. But, but again, that I've just heard that. It, yeah. I mean, I don't know any different because I had Pitocin, Pitocin from the start, but I had actually, the biggest thing I think for me that was the most painful part was the, the balloon, the Foley balloon. Um, uh, what is oh, that? It's just like they, it was essentially because I wasn't dilated really. I was dilated like one centimeter when I went in to get induced. And so they put in this balloon inside your cervix and then they kind of blow it up a little bit and, Ooh. and it's attached by a string and every like 15, 20 minutes, they'd kind of tug on the string a little. So the pressure from like the blown up balloon would sort of stretch out your cervix until eventually they pull in the string and the balloon comes out once you're dilated enough. Um, but the tugging on the balloon from, oh my gosh, that was like a kind of pain I've never experienced before. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's cringeworthy. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, no, but it's good to know because I think like we see so many questions come up about, um, like induction Mm -hmm. and what that process is like so anyone who sheds lights on it light on it is it's it's super great so thank oh, my you. i i feel like after having a baby everything is just like there's no such thing as tmi anymore like i'll you know i'm an open book <laughs> you i share so open and it's funny because i even share openly with like my male friends um like especially like when the ones that have wives and have had children's too, children children too i'm like oh let's talk about the hemorrhoids and it's just like it's hilarious because there is no oh, there yeah. is just no there's <laughs> no privacy anymore exactly i mean literally no privacy like my children will not let me go to the bathroom by myself yep pretty much <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what was your postpartum experience? Uh, the postpartum experience has so many elements to it. Um, it was good. It was really good. And I feel so fortunate to be able to have the kind of support and options that I did, um, especially now, like working with so many pregnant and postpartum women with bump and blends. I feel so fortunate to have, you know, family nearby. Um, to have family come in and help, to have a postpartum doula, to have a supportive husband. Like I feel very blessed in that way. Um, But even with those things, I struggled. And I feel like postpartum as well, like having a one-year-old, I still feel postpartum. Like there are elements of postpartum um, that really carry with you a long time that I don't think people talk about. But initially postpartum, I struggled with breastfeeding uh, quite a bit. And I felt tugged in a lot of directions with breastfeeding. So it was really important to me to breastfeed, you know, having studied nutrition and public health, I know the value of breastfeeding. Um, But, you know, similar to an epidural versus not, I understood that it might not be for me um, and it might not always be possible or fit into my lifestyle. Um, But I did struggle with familial influence on breastfeeding. So like my mom didn't breastfeed, my sister didn't breastfeed. So they, I, I felt, and you know, obviously they're supportive and they love me, but I kind of felt that they thought it was a little gross or weird that I was breastfeeding in front of them or, you know, it wasn't like they were gun ho super supportive of it. They, they didn't quite understand why I valued it so much. And then on the opposite end, my husband's family was super like, 
not supportive of formula feeding. So it was, I kind of felt, you know, one side of the family was not supportive of formula. One side was not supportive of breastfeeding and I felt tugged in both directions. Um, meanwhile, I struggled with supply and my daughter struggled with latch for, um, five months until we found out that she had a lip tie that was never caught. Um, and so she had a lip tie that whole time that was causing the struggle and we didn't know anything about it. And so by the time we caught it, her doctor was like, okay, well, she's five months. I don't know if it's even worth it at this point to operate and remove the lip tie. If, you know, she, yeah, it's coming up on six months. I don't think it's going to make a big impact on her breastfeeding at this point. So, yeah. So you guys didn't do anything? No, we didn't. She still has a lip tie. And I think it's actually caused a really cute little like gap in between her two front teeth. So that's adorable. But um, yeah, we made it. We made it almost six months breastfeeding. Um, but also like my daughter never loved breastfeeding. She always preferred the bottle. Um, and so once she got to be like five and a half months, she stayed with my mom for a weekend. And when we got back, I was so excited to breastfeed her. I was like in tears like getting ready to breastfeed her because I had like missed it so much and she pushed me away she like wouldn't take it at all and she was like I could just tell she was done it's so funny they they really do tell mm-hmm. you like and, it, and the difference in like my, my son um my son loved breastfeeding like he he did kind of self-wean like by the end by the time he was a year like he was only nursing um like in the morning and at night. And so I ended up having to wean those two because we wanted to get pregnant Mm -hmm. again. But like he kind of like just, just wean down, wean down. My daughter is like, she, and she, she will push me when she does not want to eat. She does not eat. Like she does not comfort nurse. Like it is, it is, it's just so interesting how different the kids are. And you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our breastfeeding relationship. And it makes me so sad that like, that she's like, just never cherished it the way that Luca Mm -hmm. did. I'm like, well, I guess we're just different kids. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I wish, oh my gosh, like, well, no, I don't wish. My daughter is incredible. Like, I wouldn't change a single thing about her. But I am almost a little excited for, like, my, when we have a second to be able to potentially have a stronger breastfeeding relationship with that child. Because I was always sort of envious of moms who had that incredible, special bond with their child via breastfeeding. Yeah, it's... It is funny. Like I, it's, it is, it, it, I try not to look at other like parents and, or other moms in the way that, the way that they are with their children. Cause like, obviously it's like everyone has their own different things, but I always used to look at moms that breastfed in public, like just so comfortably. And I would be like, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like I just wish I had that level of comfort that I like, but neither of my kids were like, A, they were just way too distractible. Mm-hmm. I didn't want my boob out. Like I would like do it, like I'd like kind of like wrap my, like wear my, I would just do it in a very particular way that, but like as soon as they hit four months, like neat, like as soon as they heard a sound, both of them would just like whip their head around <laughs> and nipple back. And I'm like, okay, this is just like, actually Kylo like won't even, she won't feed anywhere, but in her, in like in the chair in her oh, room. Yeah. Like, like she cannot be like I like if she, she won't be out she needs a bottle if we're out. Um, but anyway, but, I but it, yeah, it, but that's a great example. Like every child is so different, and yeah, Caroline was the same way. It was like she was always pretty distractible, and she she just never wanted it. It was she much preferred the bottle, 
And, and that was always just her. Like, it makes it easier to with your husband. Mm-hmm. It, like he can obviously get way more involved, which is nice. Yeah. yeah. He and they've always had a really special bond. Like my daughter is such a daddy's girl. It's adorable. And he is such an incredible father and to be able to give him the opportunity to feed her just as much as I did in the beginning um, was really special to him. And I, I did a lot of pumping and like, so, so my memories of breastfeeding, unfortunately are pumping and nipple cream and, uh, nipple shields. I had like five of those plastic shields that I'd have to put on so that she could latch and like just washing pump parts. And yeah. So I'm, yeah, it's, I, I've always Did been envious of, of the moms that could just whip it out and the baby latches on and everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you guys end up having – like did you have a, a lactation consultant? No, I didn't have as much lactation support as I think I could have had in retrospect. We did a breastfeeding class when I was pregnant, and then I had postpartum doulas, and many of those postpartum doulas were also lactation consultants or were studying to be a lactation consultant. So I got a lot of input from them. And then I had two lactation consultants in the hospital that were completely useless, to put it. <laughs> yeah, I think the tends to be. I, I was so frustrated with that. And I ended up actually writing an email to, to the hospital I was at because it was an amazing hospital. But I had to ask for a lactation consultant multiple times. And nobody would come and nobody would come until I was like really on top of it and like asking and asking and asking. I had to like pull strings to be able to see a lactation consultant, at which point they sent two different ones. Both of them just like came in, took one look at my boobs and said it was fine. And they were like, this is great. And then I was like, but she's not latching. And, I, you know, I don't know what's going on. Can you help? And they just handed me a nipple shield and left. And so no, nobody, I didn't get any support in the hospital in terms of like trying to get her to latch on. And as soon as the nipple shield was introduced, yes, that was great right. because she could breastfeed, but it certainly didn't do anything to help my supply or to help her actually latch on. So it wasn't until she was like, I want to say three or four months that she actually could latch on without the nipple shield. Um, And so I ended up just buying a bunch of nipple shields, which, oh my gosh, those are so expensive for what they are. Um, (laughs) And that's the business. I I know. Right. And it was funny because I remember being like annoyed that they were so expensive, but then I was like, you know what? They should be expensive because these work. And sometimes they're all that people have in certain scenarios. So I get it. You know, I support whoever (laughs) decided to charge a lot for that because people will pay it. But um, yeah, it it just, and then any of the postpartum doulas or lactation, anyone that I talked to about lactation gave me totally different advice. I couldn't get any consistency from them. And so, yeah, I think if anything I I should have worked harder to find more um, more support there that was consistent. Well, it sounds like you made it six months, and you know, like you at least got there. Yeah, and yeah, I did it. <laughs> it's behind me. And now for like the next time, you know the area, like you know the areas that that you can get more support, mm-hmm. which is obviously the. Yeah. And I don't know if other moms are like this, but I feel like so I've just been making like a laundry list ever since I got pregnant of all the things that I want to do better next time. 
Uh, like, mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like that's a, like one of my big motivations to have a second is like, Ooh, if I have a second, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z differently. <laughs> like, yes. Like the first <laughs> pancake, you know, you always mess up the first pancake and then your second pancake is delicious. Exactly. Exactly. It's, um, I like used that reference the other day with my husband and he was like, that's a really good point. I'm like, yeah, this one's a throwaway. <laughs> Um, the, uh, so I guess where in this, where in your postpartum period did you come up with the idea for Bump and Blends? So Bump and Blends, I came up with actually when I was pregnant, um, it was partially me, partially my husband that came up with the idea. Um, and then once I was postpartum and on my maternity leave, I started to really lay the groundwork and, you know, put pen to paper to make it happen. And by the time my daughter was six months, we were able to launch. Uh, and so Bump and Blends came about when I, it, it came about really organically. So in that first trimester when I was so sick, I couldn't eat anything. Uh, once I was like, okay, I really need to get nutrition in. I need to get vegetables in. I need to get fruit in. I was like throwing up my prenatal vitamins. So I was like, I need to do something here. Um, I started to turn to smoothies because I was craving fruit. I was craving like refreshing, cold, hydrating foods and, um, that and mac and cheese, of course. Uh, and so I would essentially front load a ton of spinach and different fruits, uh, and chia seeds and a different like thing. I, as a dietitian, I sort of laid out, okay, these are the nutrients that my baby really needs at this phase in my pregnancy. Okay. I'll throw all of those into a smoothie, add a ton of berries and watermelon or whatever else I'm craving, and then be able to just drink it down in a way that tastes good. And so I did that throughout my pregnancy. So every day I would make a smoothie like that. Um, and as my pregnancy progressed, I started to get more creative. So I, I, had really terrible ankle swelling. So I would add all these foods that support ankle swelling and that would bring my ankles down. And so then I made, you know, a smoothie to help me sleep better, a smoothie to help my leg cramps, my morning sickness, my fatigue, my mood. Um, and so by the end of my pregnancy in that last few months, um, everyone loved my smoothies. Like my friends would ask me to make them smoothies or my husband would always drink my smoothie. And I had these smoothies that really worked. Um, and funny enough, it was my smoothie for digestion because as any pregnant woman knows, uh, one of the biggest symptoms for pregnancy is that you just can't go to the bathroom. Like it's so hard. And um, so I made this smoothie for constipation and my husband called it the booty blaster um, because it was essentially this concoction that was so effective that like if anyone other than a pregnant woman drank it, it's like you run to the bathroom. It is so effective. Um, and it was like on it, there was a phase of my pregnancy. I had to drink it every day. And my husband was like, Ooh, is this the booty blaster? And it tasted so good. And he would like struggle with that. Cause he's like, I just want to drink the whole thing, but I can't. Like, and, um, so he was like, you know, this tastes amazing. And it really works. Like you could sell this. And I was like, oh, haha, like let's put a, a constipation smoothie on the market. That's what people want to buy, the booty blaster. <laughs> and so we thought of a more charming name for it and um, decided that actually pregnant women could utilize all of these smoothies. I had 22 different smoothies that I would make, um, each supporting a particular symptom of pregnancy. And um, 
so that's how the idea for bump and blends was was made i love it i love that that uh the genesis story that's really fantastic <laughs> what, what is like what are some of the ingredients in the booty blaster so the booty blaster is a combination of um certain dried fruits and chia and so mm. it's it's essentially um a combo of fiber um the chemicals in dried fruit and um uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Oh, probiotics. And so it can help really not only help your constipation in the moment, but it actually helps to support a gut environment that's going to give you better long-term digestion. Um, but some of the ingredients, I mean, it's chia seeds, prune juice, figs, pears, <laughs> uh, mm. kefir. It's just like very, it, it's every, oh, every supportive food for, for digestion all in one. That's like one of those things that I would want. I would want three or four of them to go right when I go into labor, mm-hmm. so I that that first. Oh my god, that that first poop is like this. Oh my gosh. Well, that's what I found as well. Like postpartum, you know, as much yeah. as my smoothies helped pregnancy, they helped postpartum even more. And they had new, like I created new flavors for postpartum because then you're dealing with even stronger mood swings and fatigue and trouble sleeping and milk supply and constipation again. And it's just like, there was a whole need for it postpartum as well. And bump and blends almost immediately after our launch started to get requests for postpartum blends. Yeah. That's, that's not surprising at all. It makes, and especially because like, you know, like our whole thing at Juna is like, especially when you're, when you're postpartum and you're, breastfeeding or whatever you're doing, you just, you usually only have one free mm-hmm. hand. So whatever you can eat that is easy and nutritious and you can do it while you're holding the baby, it's a win. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so you, you came up with this idea during pregnancy by six months, you were launching the business, but there obviously was like, it feels like an operationally heavy business, I guess, like talk to me a little bit about um, like the zero to 10, like how did you, <laughs> how did I go from like this random idea about a booty blaster to having a company yeah. and, and all of that? Um, like in the, on a weekly basis. Too. Yeah. So we, when I was pregnant still, we started brainstorming this idea and, um, we came up with the name and we bought the domain cause we're like, okay, the name bump and blends is adorable. We're going to run with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, we were just like brainstorming, I think at my brother's house and he ended up buying the domain and, and just, we just, okay, we have the domain, we have the name adorable. And then once I was postpartum, I'm a very, um, I don't like sitting around and doing nothing. I'm like not the kind of person that can just sit and, like postpartum, I was already like, okay, let's, I need to do something when I was on my maternity leave. And even though I was, you know, breast, I watched a lot of TV. I cuddled with my daughter a ton and breastfed all day long. Like I was just on the couch breastfeeding and cuddling and relaxing with her. Um, but I was starting to get really restless pretty quickly. And so I started to just write 
ideas. Like I started to write down all of the recipes and make sure that I had all those written down. And um, my husband and I started brainstorming, okay, well, if we create a company, what's going to be the mission and the values? Like, who are we going to market it to? What is it going to look like? And we just started like talking about it before bed, or I would just jot down some notes while I was breastfeeding. And, um, and then I, you know, started to research graphic designers and started to build the website myself. And it just sort of came together, not even on a schedule. Like I didn't say, okay, we're going to launch by January. I just started to work on it. Um, and then I held a focus group with a ton of my friends. I invited like every pregnant person and mom that I knew, and I had them taste every single smoothie. And then from there, I changed the recipes a little and perfected them so that each smoothie I needed, my goal was to have at least 10 people rate it five out of five. Um, Mm -hmm. And nobody rate it below like a four out of five. And so I tweaked all the recipes and had people taste them until they were perfect. Um, And then, you know, once the website launched, we've kind of just like worked on it as it comes. Like, you know, when you launch a company, it's kind of like crickets at first. It's a really awkward period where you're like, and launch and nothing (laughs) and nobody knows about it and nobody buys it and you like refresh the page and you're like but how could nobody buy these adorable smoothie cubes like and it's like of course nobody's buying nobody knows who the heck you are um and so it was like we launched in January but then we started okay now we're gonna be posting on Instagram we're gonna be tagging these people I'm gonna reach out to her I'm gonna email her I'm gonna meet with her and by we got our first sale mid-February um, okay. And so I, I just sort of, you, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm interrupting you, but did you, your first sale, did you blend the smoothie cube yourself and deliver it yourself or did you have the operations in place already? Oh my gosh. Yes. I, uh, did everything myself. I still do deliveries myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still <laughs> blend and package myself sometimes. Um, I do have a team of six amazing women who work in our kitchen, Um, they're incredible and they work so hard and, um, we do have a delivery team. We do ship nationally now, which is incredible. Um, and so our, our, we have our operations in place now, but I mean, it's a startup. There are certainly nights where I've, you know, one thing happens, another thing happens. We get an influx of orders that was unexpected and all of a sudden I'm blending at 10 PM or I'm packaging (laughs) up blends or, um, I still do a lot of the deliveries um, because I'm so, I don't know if anal is the right word. <laughs> I can just be really like, I want to make sure that everything goes perfectly. And I think being involved in the process along the way, especially when we're this small is really important. And so I still totally do this, but our first orders um, were, we were so small and so I didn't have anybody working for me at all. Um, that they were actually made in a magic bullet by myself. Um, could you not single serve magic bullet? Talk about custom made to order. Um, (laughs) they were made in a magic bullet in like totally by myself in our kitchen. Like, cause you, obviously there are like permits and stuff you have to get in place before you launch like that. But I had like all this like fancy stuff and I'm like, yeah, me and my magic bullet, Um, a hairnet I bought on Amazon and gloves I got at Costco (laughs) and like that was that (laughs) Um, and yes we don't use magic bullets anymore we've got rows and rows of blenders which is fun Um, 
but yeah, it was made by me in a magic bullet. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And now, so now you're almost seven months in? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Almost seven months. And you're like the first feedback that you were getting from like real paying customers, like what was that like? It was really exciting and it was really heartwarming because we got, we every day just get really amazing feedback back. And I'm really, it, it's like so, I'm just so honored to be able to help other pregnant women who are struggling with the same things I was struggling with and to make their lives easier and to um, be able to support them in ways that they like didn't maybe not even quite realize that they needed support around um, feels really good. And so we get, we get a lot of positive feedback back. Um, In terms of constructive feedback, that's always been, I relish it. I like get excited when somebody gives Mm -hmm. us constructive feedback. So I'm like, yes, something to fix, something to get better. Um, And that was something that I learned at my former job. Like it's so important to always be asking for feedback. And so that's something that's really important to us and, and our customers. But the biggest feedback we got in the beginning was, um, what was it? Oh, it was the price. Um, some, cause we had done some events that weren't quite within our target market. Um, and so people were getting really huge and we were also over discounting our product. So we would give people like massive discounts on their first order. And then after that they'd cancel and we'd be like, Oh, do you mind letting us know why you canceled? And it was like, well, your product is out of my price range and I just wanted the discount. And I'm like, cool. Now I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it is interesting. There's been so many, so many studies too that like undervaluing your product just like is uh, like, like if you price it higher, people will perceive the value as higher, mm-hmm. but also, which is just so true. Cause like when I, when you, like I think you and I've talked about this, but like if you, if like, if they're just never going to be your customer. And so like trying to like giving them a discount, like there's, they're just not going to be your customer in a month if, if they can't afford it. But it, it just means that they're not your customer. Your product is still just as good as it was. Exactly. And it's about like how you market your product and who you market it to. So once we got that feedback, I think we've only gotten it from like two people, but that was enough for me to say like, okay, let's take a step back. Where did these people hear about our product? Why were they marketed it this in this way? And it turns out that those people were, um, you know, they had heard about it at the same event. And this event, we were offering huge discounts. And this event is known for offering a ton of discounts and freebies. So, you know, that was going to happen. So what we did in return is market it at events that targeted our, like a more fitting demographic that isn't all about freebies and discounts. And then now we have plenty of people say that our product is so affordable. How do they how do we make it that price? And so I think it's it's totally about how you market it and who you market it to. Totally. No, that's that's a good point. That's a really good point. So you're you're a mom, an entrepreneur, a wife. I guess like you you had some good tips when when we had met last on time management, and I'd love to hear how you do it. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like it's something I'm always working on. We're always, I, if anyone says that they have a perfected time management, I call shenanigans. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have pretty strict rules when it comes to how I manage my life. And like, for, well, first things first, I have help. I have tons of help. I have a nanny. I have a husband. I have 
parents that live nearby, you know, I have so much help and I'm really, really grateful for that because I, I so commend stay at home moms because I cannot do that. Like I've tried days to, it's very hard. Um, and so I have really strict rules about compartmentalization in my life. Um, and I try and set strong boundaries. So when I'm working, I'm working. Um, I don't have guilt about it. I'm working. And I know my daughter's in great hands, um, probably better hands than mine sometimes. And, but when I'm at home with my daughter, I'm at home with my daughter. I don't check my phone. I don't check my emails unless it's an emergent situation. Um, I don't do that. Like my phone, I don't have notifications on for email. I don't have notifications on for Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. Like the only notifications I get on my phone are phone calls, um, text messages, and I mute most of my, (laughs) any group texts and stuff. And, um, you know, our home cameras, which probably send me more notifications than anything else. Um, (laughs) They're so annoying. And so when I'm with my daughter, I'm with my daughter. I usually like will leave my phone at home if we go somewhere. Um, And so I like set strong rules. Like on Thursdays, that's my day with my daughter. I don't, you know, you cannot reach me on a Thursday. It's very difficult. Um, You know, if our site crashes or something, my team, they know how to reach me if that happens. But um, typically I'm not reachable on Thursdays. And then like, you know, at night, there's like a certain time, like when my husband gets home, that's usually my signal to like, okay, it's family time. Like if I still have more work to do, I can do it after my daughter goes to sleep. But usually from the hours of like 5.30, 6 p.m. until like 8, 8.30 p.m. at least, I am like a wife and mother and I cook dinner with my family. We eat together as a family. We talk about fun stuff. Like I don't, I put my phone away and I'm present. Um, and so we try to set clear boundaries with that. That's good advice. I feel like that's um, that's kind of what I do in terms of like from five to seven. My my husband doesn't get home until later. So, but I think I what I need to do a better job of is when he gets home, that should be my signal. Okay, now we're gonna eat dinner together, and I'm gonna talk to you. Like sometimes I just look up and I'm like, I'm just gonna finish this like forty minutes of right. work that I'm trying to because I was interrupt. You know, like. Like my day gets interrupted earlier than his because I'm responsible for picking up the kids mm-hmm. and getting getting them ready. But but that's I feel like that would be better for our marriage. <laughs> I mean, but it's so hard to do. It's so much easier said than done. And it's yeah. I try and use particular triggers or create triggers that remind me to do that. And then once you do it enough times, it becomes a bit of a habit. So like for me, like my nanny leaves at 5 p.m. every day. Um, sometimes she'll stay till like 5.30. And sometimes I have to ask her to stay till 5.30 because I'm in the middle of a project that absolutely cannot wait. But for the most part, once she leaves, there is no one to take care of my daughter except for me. And I don't want my daughter to remember her time with me as mommy was on her phone or her computer while I sat around and watched her do that. So like, I know my trigger is, okay, the nanny's leaving. I'm done with work for right now. And my daughter and I will go for a walk. We'll cook dinner together. We'll do what we do and then play. And then once she's down for the night, if I feel good about work and there's nothing absolutely pressing that can't wait until the morning, 
I spend time with my husband. Like that's our one-on-one time. Um, but if there is something that, you know, and sometimes this happens, like it absolutely cannot wait until morning. I'll, I'll work on it later at night. It's, you know, she goes to bed at like eight, eight thirty. There's time to work. Yeah. You know, that's, those are, that's very good and helpful advice. Thanks. It's, it's tough, I have uh, two more goals. <laughs> exactly. I have two more questions um, for you. They should be, they should be easier. Um, what book are you reading right now that that's inspiring you? Oh my gosh, this is a good question. So I, I get a little crazy about books. I really, really love reading. Um, there, and then there are books that I read often. Um, but usually I try to read like one book for pleasure and one book for like personal growth, business growth at a time. Um, the book, have, have you read the book educated? No. Okay. I just read it and it's really fantastic. Um, that's really inspired me. I think as a mom, and, you know, as like a female role model to my daughter, that book has been really inspiring. Um, and then Atomic Habits is another really good oh, Atomic yeah. Habits was great for work. I read that twice. And then I'm thinking about going back a third time. Um, but that was a really wonderful book when it comes to establishing habits. And I've read a lot of books on habits and creating habits. And I feel like Atomic Habits was probably the best one I've read. Yeah, that is what um, my husband like read that book, and he's like, "Sarah, you need to read this book. This is a game changer." I, and I think he's he's listened he's listened to it like three times already. Yeah, um, and it, it, he cracks me up because now it's like a, a phrase in our house now where he's just like, "I'm just the kind of guy that wakes up at five thirty a.m. and and puts on his gym." Oh books. my god, so <laughs> funny! And that's I mean that's also played a big role in my compartmentalization. Like I'm not like so the book essentially talks about how you are the person that you create every day. Like you, if you think that you're the type of person who does X, Y, and Z, like you just need to say to yourself that you are that person. Like if you are the person who goes to the gym at 5am, great. Um, but it's like, that's kind of how I started my compartmentalization. Cause I'm like, I am not the mom who ignores her daughter to work. I, you know, I am not the mom who can't put her cell phone away. And that's sort of how those habits came about. I love that. That's yes. That's a great application. <laughs> and then my last question, because you you moved from Seattle. I know you're from here, but but what does your mom community look like now that you're here and this is where you're raising your family? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I feel like I could talk about this for a long time. Um, but my mom community is growing. I feel like I have um, worked really hard to meet mom friends in the community and to get myself out there because I know that I'm the kind of person who needs that sort of support. I need to be able to like talk to other moms about issues or, you know, compare notes on X, Y, and Z. Um, So I worked really hard to meet a ton of moms in the community um, and get myself out there. I still really feel like I could use more close friends. And I feel like a lot of moms say this, but like, being a mom can be really isolating and lonely. Even if you have your mom friends, like I have, if I wanted to go to the park for the afternoon, I have tons of people I could call to do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm still trying to find like that one or two mom friends who are just like my person, you know, who I can open up to and, and talk to in the same way that I would my friends in Seattle. 
And so I think it's, it's yeah. an ongoing struggle for moms. I, I'm, I know I'm not the only mom that feels that way. So if there are any moms listening who feel that way, like I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I, it's, I actually, one of one of the first podcasts I did, I did with my, one of my like greatest friends, Amy, and she, like she's, she's that person for me. And she had a kid two years before I did and then our, her second and my first are the same age. Mm-hmm. And she just always kept it so real with me that I, I like was so grateful to that. And I've tried to model all of my friendships where I'm just like very honest because I think we all do this thing where we like make it seem like our, like being a mom is so easy and comes so naturally to us, but like it's tough. Mm -hmm. And the more people that you have around you that are honest about the things that are hard for them, I think the, the better and stronger our relationships are. But I think, you know, I, I, I again, this isn't the first time that this has come up. I think it's a constant problem. And totally. For, for and it's like, there's almost like this, it's a frustrating pressure where um, you feel like when you're a mom, you can only be friends with other moms. And if they're not a mom, you can't be friends with them anymore. Um, but then what that leads to is sort of, like my situation, I feel like I have friends that I feel like I could get really close to in LA. Like I feel like there are people who are really similar to me and we have a lot in common and we would just connect as friends, but they don't have kids. And so there is that wall between us in the sense that like, if they want to go out, you know, all night on a Saturday night, like I can't really do that. Or they might like not invite me to something because they know I'm not going to be able to go. Um, or I might not want to go because I can't bring my kid. Um, but then I have like mm-hmm. mom friends that like to be quite, I mean, brutally honest. I feel like a lot of people have mom friends that they don't actually really have a lot in common with other than the fact that you're just right. both moms. And so I feel like I have tons of those friends where it's like, I really don't know anything about them other than the fact that they're a mom and our kids are the same and age. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, okay, our kids are about the same age. They're both doing the same things and uh, you have a water table at your house. So uh, <laughs> we hang out. Um, but like, and that's a bummer because I probably would be able to be really close with some of them. I just don't actually really know any of them that well. Cause we just talk about, you know, what sippy cup did you buy and what, you know, what's her sleep schedule like? <laughs> so it's yeah. tough to get to know people as a mom, like on a real basis. It, I totally agree. I think it, it comes with like the consistent. Mm-hmm. Well, I always think about the um, the amount of conversations that get interrupted. And I, I, I think that's also part of the struggle. Like, yes, you may be talking about sippy cups or the the nap schedule or whatever. But, but also like there's the amount of times like I'll get interrupted by, you know, my three-year-old mm-hmm. or my, you know, like my other baby starts crying or whatever it is. And I'm like, Oh, I have no idea what we were just saying. We might've just been in like an in-depth conversation, but yeah. <laughs> your brain is like all over the place. Yeah. And I think that also makes it harder to get deep with, with anyone who you're looking to have a new friendship. Mm-hmm. With. And then it's, oh, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And then I, like, I have moms yeah. who are stay at home moms and, you know, they might think I'm blowing them off because I can't hang out on the hours that they can hang out. And you know, then I feel bad about that. And then I have working mom friends. And as a working mom, like, we just don't have a lot of time to hang out or our work schedules might just not, it's hard to get them aligned perfectly. So it's, it's slim pickings, I think, out there for a mom. 
it's tough. There's a lot of apps now too, I think that are like popping up mm-hmm. that are kind of trying to solve that problem. That's actually how I met a lot of my mom friends on Peanut. Oh, mm-hmm. really? What, what app is it? Let's just plug it. Uh, Peanut. Yeah. Not, Peanut, not yeah. paid, just used it. Um, Peanut, it's Tinder for moms. It is. I, I actually downloaded Peanut almost probably, you know, probably eight months ago. And I, I, I feel like I need to use it more and I'll get like, it's like, Oh, this woman's tapping you or nudging you. I'm like, this is so, so cute. I go on it like oh, probably once every three to four months just to be like, Oh, any, any new friends out there? Anyone? Can anyone hear me? <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, I think there's definitely a market too for like a peanut for dads. Cause I think what a lot yeah. of people don't talk about is if it feels isolating for moms to make friends, I would imagine that tenfold for dads. Cause yeah. I mean, at least talking to my husband and stuff, like, I can't even think of ways that he can meet other dads in a way that's, like, cool and approachable for them, other than, like, me inviting him to meet my friend's husbands, which seems to feel very, like, forced <laughs> and awkward. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. Although, although you know, it, I'll, and I, I hate using this reference, but, like, when, when we were watching Game of Thrones – my husband, we'd watch the episode and like we'd talk about it a little bit. And then he would go to work on Monday and talk about it with like 25 other people because he was in this work environment. I work at home mm-hmm. and I'm like, it's, it's, it's like, I, I just feel like he's not as like, because he goes to work and has all of his peers and people that he works with, it's a different, and no, they aren't, not all of them are dads, but you know, a good percentage of them yeah. are. Like they don't, they're not as isolated throughout the week. Totally true. I feel the same. Like my husband goes to work and he works in an office with a ton of friends and, but, but he's also kind of the type, I think it just depends on personality too. Like I don't, I think he's the type of person who wants friends outside of work. Um, cause I don't know like yes. how much he relates to his coworkers, but like I know in Seattle, we both like, I, it's also probably a transition for us cause we had such an incredible network of friends in Seattle. Um, that moving here to go from being surrounded by so many really close friends to like, oh, you don't know anyone here. <laughs> Welcome to LA. You right. have no friends. Um, I think was jarring for both of us being pregnant too. So any friends we made without kids felt uh, almost like it was only not permanent. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. yeah, it's been an interesting transition, but peanut for dads coming your way exactly. <laughs> <I> bump and <laughs> blends <laughs> exactly well thank you so much this was um super informative and so much fun to get to chat with oh, you thank you so much for having me sarah it was really really fun to chat with you okay that's all for today if you found this episode helpful please 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 share it with your mama friends and write a review and be sure to subscribe to the June Orvind podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening now. If you're pregnant or postpartum, you can download the Juna app for tailored follow-along workouts and nutrition advice just for this period of your life. The app is available in the iOS app store. If you're looking to connect with other Juna moms, check out the Juna Moms Facebook group. Lastly, if you know someone who you think would be a fantastic guest on the show, please let us know on Twitter at Juna underscore app or email me at Sarah at Juna. See you next week.